That happens in the world because men sometimes aren't very interested about you personally. They're more interested in themselves and uh, their money-making. And sometimes that can be rather discouraging. But there is a way to be encouraged. There's a way to be motivated. There's a way to do your very best. And that principle is found in the Word of God. And we'll be looking at that this evening. So let's pray. Our Father, we do thank Thee for Thy holy Word. And as the psalmist, we recognize that Thy Word is true from beginning to end. And that all that Thou hast granted and taught us therein we are by faith to take to heart and to realize that we have great encouragement even in this world even at times when things seem to be completely destroyed even like david at ziklag teach us to encourage ourselves in thee to lay hold of thy truth and by faith to walk trusting thee alone looking to thee laying hold of the promises and the principles of thy word. We ask for this this evening as we look into the passage to which our attention is to be affixed. We shall thank thee in the blessed and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the Colossian epistle, we will be concluding chapter 3 and entering into chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is dealing with relationships and relationships that we are responsible to carry out in regard to the gospel, to the knowledge of Christ, to the knowledge of God's wondrous and holy will. We have already found that as far as the family is concerned. In verses 18 and following, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And then tonight we consider servants, the word servants here is applying to slaves in the Roman Empire. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. When the gospel went into the Roman Empire, 
it went into a condition where one-third of that empire were slaves. One-third, particularly at uh, one time, were slaves. And slaves were considered, of course, as property. They were considered no higher than a beast of burden or a tool to be used for work. And uh, this is the context in which Paul had to instruct slaves called servants here and their masters. It was necessary that Paul do this in the framework of the prevailing society. And when he brought the gospel and when others preached the gospel in the Roman Empire, it was not to bring about a revolution or a war or social action. It was to change the hearts of men. The gospel is like leaven that slowly works its way through a lump of dough. And so the things would change, but they would not change by violent means or revolutionary means or social upheaval. It was a runaway slave. His name was Onesimus. We have him in that little epistle to Philemon, the subject of that epistle. He was a runaway slave, yet God saved him by his marvelous grace. And he was sent back to Philemon. He is the one who brought the epistle to the Colossians. And of course, Paul's admonishment to slaves and their masters here is in the framework of a Christian context, in the framework of the gospel. The new relationships, even the equality of slaves and free in Christ, slaves and masters were equal if they were both in Christ. And in this world, the only true equality is in Christ between men, women, black, white, slaves, free. And that we learn clearly, of course, in the scriptures. And the new relationship put a radically different meaning to the way slaves were considered within the community of believers and thus the way they were to treat one another. Everything that applies biblically in the gospel in relationship to slaves applied also to masters in Christ when both were saved by God's grace. And so you read in chapter 3 and verse 11, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. This was the place of true equality. Christ was in all. All whom God, by his regenerative grace, brought to the knowledge and the faith of the Son of God were equal in him. And so all were to put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, 
bounds of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. The even as Christ is the gospel standard in the New Testament. And above all, above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Whereas slaves in the empire were socially inferior, they were considered as mere property. Paul, on the other hand, dealt with them as persons and persons of equal standing. That's why they're called brothers if they're in Christ. They're in the family of God. And as in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. The Apostle Paul dealt with them, of course, far differently than the master-slave relationship. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, it becomes very clear that he was of firm mind that if there was uh, the, the possibility to do so, that a slave was to gain his freedom. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, or chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, for instance, in verses 20 and through 23 in this chapter, the apostle writes, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. The gospel is not to cause one to quit working. Art thou called being a servant? And of course, that here is signifying a slave. Care not for it, but if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. He had been freed then to become the willing bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. He also, redeemed by the blood of the Son of God, to become the bond servant of the Lord of glory. And there is no freedom like that which Christ gives. For if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Nevertheless, as has been said, and uh, as he was necessitated to deal within the prevailing society, it would therefore be natural that he should guard against the suggestion that his appeal as to Philemon to receive Onesimus back as an equal brother in Christ in any way condoned the latter's wrongdoing or justified a breakdown of the social order. The gospel was not coming in to make a revolutionary change in any way other than in the hearts of men that would eventually bring it about. The leaven of the gospel, as it reached into the Roman society, would do its eventual work, indeed, so that in no way did the apostles of Christ ever try to change it by political or social upheaval. Neither 
will our ever-increasing pagan society be changed by political action only. That will only come if the hearts of men are changed. That will only come if the power of God under his sovereign control brings about a mighty awakening in this country as had been twice done in its history. If God's will is in this, then the life, of course, becomes conformed to the gospel. And uh, that brings about tremendous change, the best kind of change, the true freedom that can be enjoyed by men and women. And even though Paul's injunction here particularly applies to slaves and masters, yet we know also that the principles he sets forth are to govern wherever there is an authority and a subjection that is to be to that authority, and one that transforms the quality of service that's rendered to a superior in an area even of work or employment. The principles apply. And the supreme consideration that will make all the difference, the overriding consideration that will transform the way service is rendered to a superior in position is simple here and essential. It is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is subjection first and foremost to him. It is the performing of what is done as unto the Lord. As in verse 23, here we read, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily, from the heart. As to the Lord and not to men. Not drudging service. Not simply because it's a duty to be done that's not to be done out of the heart. And the best that can be done by one but done unto the Lord. And that's what Paul is setting forth in the passage to which we look. So that we are to again be made aware that here we have the gospel standard. We have the gospel governing even the relationship that takes place in the world. Submission preeminently in everything to Christ as Lord. This is what's to govern human relationships. And so, what about when it's difficult? What about when the service is hard? What about when one labors and they feel unappreciated or taken for granted? Does that free them from doing their very best? from rendering the best they can possibly do? Not according to our passage. In verses 22 and 23, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Of course, the Apostle Paul here is charging, he's admonishing Christian slave 
servants and the masters of slaves. It wouldn't always be that case. It wouldn't always be you have a Christian slave and a Christian master. You may have a Christian slave and an unbelieving master. So if the slave owner is not one who is in Christ, not one who's saved by God's grace, not one who knows the wondrousness of himself now belonging to another, redeemed out of the world from sin unto God and belonging to Christ. If that slave owner is not a believer, does this release that slave from these injunctions? No. And if a master is a Christian in the true sense of the word, and a slave is an unbeliever, it doesn't release the master from treating that unbelieving servant other with the same very guiding principle that we have in the passage here. In the case of a slave who's also a believer and a servant of Jesus Christ, the same gospel standard is to be followed even when the duty is hard, even when he receives more harsh treatment from an unsaved owner. We are actually taught this, yes, in the scripture. In this case, that slave is given an opportunity to be a light, a witness, to one who is transformed, to one who is not under the control of sin and bitterness, but one who is under the control of Christ and his gospel. So, look into 1 Peter chapter 2. You'll find this, and you'll find also the gospel standard as we find it throughout the New Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 2, and beginning at verse 18. The Apostle Peter writes, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. That is, they are to be given reverence, respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, those who would be more harsh. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Notice then the standard. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And of course... He lived the perfect life in perfect obedience, true goodness only in him and how he suffered. And the example is given here. It's always the gospel standard. The Lord Jesus is himself our living law to whom we are to follow.
And of course, our Lord's pattern and example is to be followed by us in relationship to the believing community. Indeed, among the people of God and in relationship to those who are of the world, those who are outside the kingdom of Christ, those who are not governed by the principles and the directions of our Lord or his life followed. We are to be, as the Apostle Paul brings out first and foremost, servants of him, of the Lord Jesus. Primarily, essentially, servants of Christ. And that's why, again, he writes here in Colossians 3 and verses 22 and 23, Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of your heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. You see, the gospel standard, the supreme rule of the believer to follow Christ, even though here especially applied to slaves, to the bondservants of men, is to be applied by the believer in every relationship. We've already had that, of course, taught in our passage. Paul first brought out that it's to govern our treatment of each other, we who are in Christ, and we who are joined to each other in a bond of love in Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 12:5, we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. We're in the same family. We're in the royal family of God. If you had a condition in the Roman Empire where you had a slave that was a Christian and you had a, an owner of that slave that was not a Christian, that slave is higher than the master. In America, during the time of slavery, if there was a black slave that was a Christian and he was in the household of one who was a non-Christian, that black slave had a higher position in Christ, a higher character. As a matter of fact, if you ever read history, there were some godly slaves, even in our country, and they were higher than the ones who owned them. And they learned the principles of God's word. It's to be, we learned, of course, in our passage, also the supreme pattern in the home of believers, in the relationship of husband and wife and children. The wife is to be subject to the husband's authority, his headship in the home, because he stands in a position as being an example and a pattern to be of the Lord Jesus Christ in the home. The husband, having really the greater responsibility, is to love the wife exactly like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He put us above himself. He put us above his own comfort. He put us above his own things and loved us with a love that's incredible and self-giving. That love is to be the husband's love for the woman in the Christian home. Children, 
are commanded to obey their parents in all things. If you find in Scripture the rule of God, that's supreme, right? Over everything. Secondly, the second one was the children to obey the parents in the Lord as God had commanded with the promise of long life as a general rule. And what about when a believing wife is married to an unbelieving husband? Does that relieve her from the responsibility of the headship of the husband? No. Paul, um, the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your husbands. If any obey not the word, they still are to be that way and to be a witness and a light to that husband. Of course, he's not dealing with uh, an, a dangerous, abusive situation in a home, etc. But an unbeliever, simply. Then, as again, we see in First Peter, the same supreme guiding rule is to govern slaves. The slaves that were in the Roman Empire. The very same principle. If they have an unbelieving master, he deals with them more harshly than one who is in Christ. They're still to be in subjection to his authority. But none of these things can be rightly applied. And we live in a day and in a situation and in a culture where that's foreign to everything that's thought. So none of these things can be rightly applied unless, first and foremost, you truly belong to Christ and have become no longer your own, but his who died for you and rose again, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. You see, first and foremost, we belong to him. And so his authority is supreme. The exception we have, of course, in Scripture, whether the governmental authority in the nation or in the home or even in a church, is that we obey him. And if that human authority endeavors to command something that is contrary to his will and clearly made known, we obey Christ rather than men. That is the exception, of course in scripture but otherwise we have this responsibility because we're no longer our own we belong to one who loved us gave himself for us to whom we belong know you not that your body is the temple of the holy ghost which is in you which you have of god you're not your own for you're bought with a price therefore glorify god in your body and in your spirit which are god's the Lord Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He is our Lord. We have his word. And yet, none of these things can be rightly applied without God's grace and the work of his spirit in the heart because man is weak and ruled by sin otherwise and ruled by a fallen nature unless God by his grace and through the work of his spirit and the enablement of his Holy Spirit 
gives us the grace to live as we are taught in the word of God. So the first responsibility of the one saved by grace, who trust Christ indeed, resting only in him and his one eternal sacrifice for sin, coming to him by faith, as to do as he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, even in this we'll find him our example. Even in this we'll find the ruling principle, even in the life of our Lord himself. This is where the help of the Holy Spirit comes to enable you to do what you cannot do by nature. When you look to him and trust him. When you seek him daily. When you believe him. And when he is your portion, your desired portion above all, then you'll find the grace and the help of his Holy Spirit, enabling you to carry out these injunctions which cannot be done by nature. They can only be done by one who is under the control of God's Holy Spirit. Then take focused notice, intense notice, that the Lordship of Jesus Christ and nothing else is the overriding consideration for the believer. No matter his or her position in the world, the Lordship of Jesus Christ is the overriding consideration. Is the bond servant, the slave to obey in all things his earthly master? That's what we read. In verse 22 of Colossians 3, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Let him or her do so with a singular regard, not to the master, but to Christ. With a single heart toward the Lord Jesus Christ considering himself or herself to be primarily, above all, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, belonging to him. And so whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men. This one, by the way, will never be the loser. Never. Because the service rendered is to one who the Apostle Paul says, whose servant I am, and whose approval alone matters. It should be our greatest desire to hear in that day when we shall stand before him, when all of history has been concluded, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, that's more important than all the money we could gather in this world or be paid. That's better than all of the lands we could acquire. That's better than all of the ease and pleasures that this world could afford us. To hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant.
and then arm yourself with this knowledge of verse 24. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Here is the one who's being served even in obedience to the master, even in obedience to the employer. This is the one who is preeminently being served, the Lord Jesus himself. Is the Christian master knowing that there's now total equality between himself and the believing servant? They're both equal in Christ. There's no difference in Christ between them. They're both brothers in the Lord. They're both in the same wondrous eternal family now. So is the Christian master to treat him or her as Paul said to Philemon when he returned a different man, a saved man by the grace of God? And Paul exhorts Philemon to receive him as he said, not now as a servant, but as a brother beloved. You see, that changes everything. When you have this wondrous relationship in Christ, that changes everything. And everything about a relationship, it changes it. Then let also the Christian master employ the very same supreme rule to guide his conduct, as in chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Christian master, if you have this bond servant, then you and him are in the same family. Then you and him are brothers. Then you treat him well. Then you give him his due. Then you don't withhold from him that which should be, be his for his service that's rendered. So, <clears throat> there are great motives that impel faithful, hearty service in whatever position you might occupy in the world. Again, in verses 23 and 24 of Colossians 3. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing, and here, here's something that is the motive, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You wonder, how many even give a thought to this? That what they do, they're to do it unto Christ. They're to do it heartily, unto Him. No matter the treatment they might have in the world. So, above all, we have the Lord Himself, who's the one who's to be served. The highest one there is. The Lord of everything. The Lord of glory. The Lord himself humbled himself and became a servant. First, he was the servant of the Father. If you look into Isaiah, 
and we won't turn there and if you read from chapter 42 of Isaiah and following you find the one who is the servant of Jehovah that's the Lord Jesus Christ he's the one who so serves that he offers himself to the highest of difficulty the most horrendous suffering ever to redeem us that servant gave himself for our sins was wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities he became the servant of the father and he became our servant in giving himself for us you see the gospel standard it's a gospel standard that's to govern our behavior among ourselves and in the world he to whom we're called to love to obey to follow and serve didn't come to do his own will he came to do the will of his father and this involved the most difficult service anyone would ever have to perform the total self-sacrifice that would alone secure the salvation of all that the father gave to him and he came to do the will of the father as the servant of jehovah so we're called to do his will and in no other way can we do the will of god unless we are the servant of the lord jesus christ unless he is our supreme pattern to know to learn of to follow then those words so well known but little applied call us to one supreme pattern that of our lord to govern our service of one another you remember what the lord taught in matthew chapter 20 if you like to look there in matthew chapter 20 and in verses 25 through 28 But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. That word means servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. So, you remember that even as principle, that's the gospel standard in the New Testament. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And we're talking about biblical Christianity, not that which passes for it, not the reasonings of men that are controlled rather by their own desires many times what they think in self-centrality rather than the word of God and the Lord of glory himself so if this rule does not govern our service whatever service we may be called to 
producing faithful, diligent, heartfelt service. Whether in the church or in the world, the whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, then we're only left to be governed by the law of sin, which is in our members. One or the other. We're not only called to believe, to trust Christ alone with our very selves for eternal safekeeping, we're called to live as he lived. We're called to follow him. That's why even in Colossians in chapter 3, the first thing he sets forth in this chapter, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you're dead and your life is hid with God in Christ. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. We've said it before. We can never make too much of Christ as our sacrifice. But we can make far too little of Christ as our life. Serving Christ, serving Him in our human relationships, whatever we're called to do, wherever we are, and God providentially puts us where we are, agreed? He's absolutely sovereign over what has happened, of where we are. Even when it's difficult, God has a purpose. And if we serve our Lord Jesus Christ, will that go unrewarded? No. No. Again, verse 24. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. We're to know it. We're to embrace it. We're to consider it. We're to be moved by it. The slave might receive some ill treatment from his master. The employee, maybe from his employer. The soldier from his commander. And be taken advantage of. And be taken for granted. But there is a, mas a master. There is a master who takes notice of every act. Every service every point of self-giving. He notices it all. Every bit of it. And if there be this singleness of heart in serving Him, toward Him, not I service toward men doing what's done in the sight of men for their praise, doing what we do in a single heart toward our Lord. We can do so with the greatest of motive. Men may treat you as an inferior. They might care for you only for what they can get from you. That's a world. And they might withhold you. Uh, from you, what may be your due. That's possible. But this is known. 
He who searches the hearts and reins will cherish you. He cares about you, not simply what you do. He loves you. He wanted you. And he takes notice. He takes notice even in those things when nobody else sees. When nobody else is looking on. When nobody else is going to come along and say, fantastic job, and here you're getting greatly rewarded for it. He still takes notice. He notices. He sees everything, every motive. Everything that's done. Men might want you simply to use you. That's the world. The world in which we have to live now. They might want simply to use you. But he loved you. And he loves you. And he gave himself for you. He made you a child of God. He made you an heir to all he has. A joint heir with himself. Isn't that glorious? He has put you in a position higher than the angels. Paul wrote in Galatians 4, Because your sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Could there be anything more glorious? He did not want you for what you can do for him. Because he did everything for you. He did it for you. When you could do nothing for him and nothing toward him. Loving you. Wanting you. Redeeming you. Saving you. Never leaving or forsaking you. And he wants you to be forever with him. We love him. Because he first loved us. And he calls us to obedience out of one motive. One supreme motive. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. He it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And I will love him. And will manifest myself to him. The sweetest communion you'll ever have with Christ is when it's the most difficult and yet you serve him. You trust him. You look to him. And that's a blessed thing. Serve him from the heart. Give him yourself. Love him supremely in believing his love for you. And be assured, he has laid up for you the reward of the inheritance. He's not going to withhold anything, though you didn't earn it. And I didn't earn it. The inheritance was gained by him, not by us. Not by you, by him. 
And the treatment he will give is by freely giving this inheritance based upon his own death. And what greater reward? What greater reward for the one who truly knows him, knows him, knows his love, embraces the wondrousness of his grace and his gospel? What greater reward could there be than to be with him? Apart from him, the heavenly inheritance wouldn't mean a thing. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? The psalmist in Psalm 16 could say, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. And he's the one David called his exceeding joy. And if he's your exceeding joy, and your desires to be with him. Grace saves. Grace alone. Grace secures the heavenly inheritance. And then grace enables your obedience and service and treats you as if it were you gaining it, though he did it, and all by his grace. Come, ye blessed of my Father, what words will be heard by those who are truly his and truly serve him with a single heart to him. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, you fed me. Fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. When? If you did it under one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then finally, not only are we to serve in singleness of heart, but also in fearing God. In verse 22 of Colossians 3. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. This is to characterize your service, even in the common duties of life, even in the necessities of life. So, there is this warning included to add solemnization to these injunctions in verse 25 of Colossians 3. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. The scriptures teach us that we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We must give an account of ourselves for what we've done in the body, whether it be good or bad. That's a matter of our reverence and fear, our comprehension, that we are going to stand before Christ. 
before his judgment seat. It might be difficult for us to understand the judgment of believers, for good or bad, since we know from Scripture this is not a judgment of salvation. God judged our sins in Christ at the cross. That judgment is over. There is therefore, Paul could write in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That means there is no condemning judgment we shall face. Our judgment for sin was at the cross. That's settled. Yet we will, according to many places in Scripture, be judged for our service. So then, instead of simply trying to intellectually figure all these things out, we know that it is true. It is taught. It is clearly taught in the Scripture. And then we learn that both love and fear serve as twin motives to our heartfelt service to our Lord in obedience to his supreme lordship in everything. In that day, the position held in the world, whether it be high or low, the master or the slave, the rich or the poor, the socially high or the socially low, the educated, the uneducated, there will be no respective persons in that. That position will make no difference whatsoever. As in Christ, there's total equality among masters and slaves. There's neither bond nor free in him. So at the judgment seat of Christ, there's no respect of persons. Respect of persons means God does not take cognizance or give anything higher because one has a higher position socially in the world there's no partiality none but only the motives of the heart and the manner of service he searches our heart that's a matter of fear of reverence he knows why we do what we do and be assured that if God by sovereign grace has saved you saved you from sin made you eternally his own there will be fruit. There will be service. As the Lord says it, some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, some an hundredfold. So though we're saved by grace alone, though the judgment of our sins has taken place at the cross, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. God is also, just as he foreordained our salvation, he foreordained our service. As in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. If you're in Christ, God has ordained your service. And part of that is serving him where you are and in the relationships of this world. And this is Christian 
This is biblical. Wouldn't it be a different world if this were really employed? But it's not employed in the world. It's to be employed among God's people. And by those who truly know the Lord. So may God bless the ministry of his holy word. Carol is uh, going to have to have thyroidectomy. She's going to have to have her thyroid removed, so she's facing surgery on that. As far as I know, I don't think there's a date that's set. Uh, I'm sure she'll let us know. Mindy is having some trouble, quite a bit of trouble. She's gone for tests and should find out pretty soon what uh, is causing her trouble. She's having a lot of pain in her chest. And uh, she thinks she's read something that, that maybe there's some kind of a problem that is ulceritic maybe in her. The doctor's supposed to tell her Friday, so... Uh, <clears throat> Hopefully, that can be taken care of. Are these physical things we need to pray for with our dear people? Bob, of course, we continue to pray for. He's often in pain. <clears throat> Jonathan, we need to continue to pray for. Do we have other special prayer requests? Yes, uh, pray for my sister Robin. Um, she was in excruciating pain and she was going home. She had been with her arthritis and she was like, we're sure in the paper she says, well, apparently at first on the way from going home and the pain was so bad she could barely get out of the car and get out of the house. I can sympathize. Mary Davis, you see my doctor? Well, did he help you? <laughs> We're trying things. Yeah, he'll go the least, and then if it doesn't work, try something else. He's a good doctor. for you can pray pray for this nation the only way that things are going to really change permanently I mean do it temporarily sometimes is if God brings an awakening and many are swept into his eternal kingdom and those who profess to know him 
come to recognize when there's sin and confess it and seek his face and learn truly to do what they do for his glory. We'll conclude this uh, live stream and then those who are home can pray. And if you fellows will pray, we'll pray with you.
Father in heaven, we thank you so much for bringing us together tonight for the word that you had for us from your servant, our pastor. We thank you for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit purchased for us by the blood of our Savior. And I pray that we would walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. I pray that we would serve you with singleness of heart whether that be in our relationships at home or in our relationships at work. I pray that we would be Christ-like. We would be diligent, hard-working, faithful servants of our Savior and the things that we say and do. I pray that you would use the testimony Others would, would see a difference, that they would see Christ in us, and that you would give us courage and wisdom in testifying to the grace of God and what you have done for us in Christ. I pray that you would have mercy on our brothers and sisters who are afflicted. Remember tonight, Carol, who's going 
to have surgery to have the thyroid removed and pray that that would be successful without complication. Pray for Mindy who's having these pains in the chest. Pray that you would bless her through the doctors and give her a proper diagnosis and a solution to the pain that she's been having. Pray for our brother Bob who's been suffering chronic pain. Pray that you grant him relief and uphold him. Pray for Jonathan. Thank you that his health is slowly improving. I know that he has good days and bad days and on those days when he's feeling ill especially difficult to pray that you would uphold him and encourage him and help him to to look to you and to be able to rest in your will even during this long trial. And pray for Robbie and the severe pain that she's going through. Pray that you would bring her relief and pray that there would be some some solution that you would provide her with healing. Pray for this nation, for our neighbors, for the myriads of people who so desperately need be brought to repentance and to believe the gospel. We know that you are a God who delights to save and that salvation is your work. And so we pray that you would move mightily and bring many millions to repentance and faith. And that through the conversion of many that you would bless this nation. We pray for your people. We pray that you would give them boldness to stand for the truth that you would renew a zeal in preachers who know the truth that they might be faithful in preaching the gospel as it is revealed in scripture and not be tempted to compromise with the world or to water it down or to change it in any way but that the pure gospel would go forth from many pulpits and that you would bring a revival in the hearts of the churches. Lord, we pray for this congregation in whatever ways that we have been slothful or negligent. pray that you would reveal it to us, bring us to repentance, Renew a right spirit in us. That you would teach us to love one another even as Christ loves us. That you would invigorate us and use us to prosper your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Where is uh, Take My Life?
492. 492. Let's stand and sing. This is a prayer we should pray as we sing. Many hymns are prayers.